0: Hey, Faithful Listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Hello and good morning, friends and faithful listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into the Bible Explained podcast on this lovely morning. And today we have a guest on the podcast. This is Mr. Gregory Kokel here again with us and you know I am so excited that he's here because he hasn't come on the podcast since we were in the book of Exodus and now we're like in the book of Acts. So
1: wow. Well, Not well no. no. <laughs> I was back with <laughs> Moses.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I I split the the podcast up to Old Testament and New Testament, I gotcha, so. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're uh, probably in the book of like Mark or something. So I welcome you to
1: Mrs. Kokel, although Yeah we have yes. the same names that are spelled differently which is so yes. unusual but nice it to, is. nice to be with you again
0: yeah thank you and you know it was so funny i i didn't realize that greg cocal spelled his, or said his name as cocal i thought it was Kukul at first
1: <laughs> that's the most common mistake that's why your spelling is better because it's so phonetic but you see right. it's
0: it's not though cuz everybody calls me cocal <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. <laughs> Spread the misery here.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, today he is on the podcast because he's going to be talking about his new book. And you may have heard of him before because he wrote the book Tactics. And honestly, it is one of my favorite apologetic books out there. Um, And also he wrote Story of Reality. I have that book as well. And Relativism. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Feet Firmly Planted in mid Right. With Dr. Frank Beckwith, I did that in 2000, 1998, actually. Boy, okay, 26 years ago or whatever.
0: <laughs> and then you founded Stand to Reason back in 93,
1: 94? This is our 30th anniversary this year, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. So once we read Acts chapter 14, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your new book. Right. And... We'll just see what it's about and uh, how it relates to this portion of scripture today. So I'm going to be reading this as usual out of the W.E.B. version. And once again, this is Acts fourteen one through 7. In Iconium, they entered together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the disbelieving Jews stirred up and embittered the souls of the Gentiles against the brothers. Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who testified to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of that city was divided. Part of it sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. When some of both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers, made a violent attempt to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lacona, Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding region. There they preached the good news. All right, Mr. Kokel, I I chose this portion of scripture because I think it really does relate to some of the things you're going to be talking about in your new book, Street Smarts. So I'd like for you to get into a little bit of what your book is about and uh, how we Christians can spread our faith and the gospel message. Just more effectively in general.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, you can call me Greg instead of Mr. Kokel because we just want to avoid <laughs> any confusion here. Okay. You know what?
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs>
1: Mrs. Kokel. Um <laughs> uh, I, this is an interesting passage. I noted a couple of things when you read it. Uh it you first talked about the embittered the the, the embittered people. And uh this is the attitude towards the disciples when they were communicating the gospel. People It was the gospel of grace, the word of grace, as you read it. And instead of rejoicing at it, they became embittered. Well, this is certainly what we're facing now. The word of grace that's communicated now is only grace because of the condition that human beings are in, in rebellion against God. And to receive the grace, you have to acknowledge the rebellion, okay? You don't ask for forgiveness unless you think you need it and and people don't want to do that they want to l- live in their rebellion jesus said they love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil this is john chapter 3 and so the culture now a portion of it a significant portion of it, is embittered against the christians communicating their convictions in the midst of the culture. And this, of course, creates um, difficulty for Christians. And it and it did there, uh, my violent mistreatment. That was in the text as well. And there is bordering violent mistreatment now, even in this country, certainly around the world of Christians. But now people, because they're standing tall and firm on their convictions, they're not living according to lies, nor are they affirming them. Some Christians are losing their jobs, okay? Okay. And um, it's interesting, too, the, the, the part of the text there talked about signs and wonders. Well, that happened a lot then and doesn't happen as much now. But the signs and wonders were what gave the gospel message credibility to a lot of people. Okay, it was, it was evidence for the truth of the gospel. And what what we have, if we don't have signs and wonders as much now, we still have powerful evidence for the truth of the gospel. And this is what Stand to Reason has been focusing in on for 30 years now, John, and that is providing the, the evidence, the information, the training and thinking that Christians need in order to uh, demonstrate that the gospel is true. And I mean true in the normal sense of the word, true like gravity is true, not just true for us, but true according to to the nature of reality. And so um, the books that I've written uh, are are either to explain the Christian worldview, um, the story of reality, for example, or to help Christians to navigate in the midst of those embittered mobs who are getting increasingly aggressive on on a variety of different topics. And so in the tactics book, what I did was lay out a game plan that allowed people to maneuver um, just a three-step game plan. I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment, but it is Street Smarts is simply an extension of that game plan. It's it's the third step of the game plan, kind of on steroids for those of your listeners who have read Tactics. Uh, but you don't need Tactics to understand Street Smarts. It's good if you've already read it, and if you haven't read it, you can get it. <laughs> It's a little tip there from an author of the book. Uh, but Street Smart is a standalone book, and I revisit the game plan. But I want people to understand, Jen, the the kind of the backstory of the game plan. And that is um the received tradition that we have about evangelism is to go out and share the simple gospel and to get people to pray to receive Christ. And that's why the prayer is in the lap back of that little tractor booklet that you use. Nothing wrong with that, except Those techniques worked well half a century ago, but the world has changed radically since then. The gospel is not simple anymore. People don't understand the concept. We don't change our message, but we do need, I think, to change our method in order to be most effective. And so um, uh, when I started reflecting back in the New Testament, I realized, you know, they didn't really have altar calls then. They didn't have people being challenged to pray to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. They were doing something different. And Jesus talked about it in John chapter 4. He says there uh, to the disciples after he had spoken with the woman at the well, he said, you know, some sow and some reap. Now, in this case, you're going to get to reap. Well, you did not sow. You're going to get the easy pickings. And that's the key, by the way. When the harvest is ready, and Jesus said that Sychar was ripe for harvest, Okay. Um, when the harvest is ready, the har- the, 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 the fruit just drops into the basket. It's easy. You walk in an orchard, apple orchard, you know, around harvest time, there's apples laying all over the ground. And the fact of the matter is most people, and I know this because I've been polling folk <laughs> and also because of what I see in the New Testament. And in my, this was true in my own life. Most people, when they become Christian, Harvest themselves, so to speak. No one harvests them except for the Holy Spirit. Of course, we understand that's the dynamic there. The point I'm making here is that we don't have to push people who are doing evangelism into a harvest mode because the harvest is going to take care of itself. So I've been taking polls as I've been speaking about street smarts, and I asked people to raise their hand if they're Christians and did not become Christian by praying the sinner's prayer with somebody or coming forward and all called call to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. 60 to 70% of every single audience raises their hand. In other words, it's the vast minority that seemed to come to Christ by the method that we're taught. The majority didn't. All different means. The same thing with me. When my brother started pushing back on me and sharing Christ, uh, after a lot of time doing so, But on September 28th, 1973, I told him, you don't have to tell me anymore about Jesus. I've already decided I want to become Christian. Wow. My fruit was ripe. You bump it, it falls into the basket. The hard work is in the gardening, not in the harvesting. So what I'm trying to encourage people to do, especially those who are uncomfortable with the idea of trying to get somebody to sign on the dotted line and pray to receive Christ, especially in this cultural environment of embittered souls, um i i want them to not worry about that god worries about that he's the lord of the harvest just get out and do some gardening a little bit here a little bit there that's what paul said i planted apollos watered god caused the increase all right so what i'm giving here in tactics and in street smarts are gardening tools with the goal not to lead the person to christ in that conversation but rather to give them something to think about I call that putting a stone in their shoe, all right? So I was actually roughly in your neck of the woods a few weeks back in the University of Kentucky in Lexington, and I just told the audience, I said, I'm not here to convert you. I just want to annoy you a little bit in a good way. <laughs> they all chuckle because they expect the Christian to, to annoy them. So, okay, I'm your guy. So, so um, th- that's my goal. So I'm commending to your audience the idea of not worrying about the harvest. And I know this is controversial now, but, Go back to the New Testament. The harvest ha- happened almost automatically when the preaching or communicating, or as I'm characterizing it, the gardening was done well. Okay, that's all I'm asking for. Just do the gardening. Okay, and i give it a gardening tool here in a tactical game plan. It has three steps, and we're going to use these st- steps, and each one is based on using questions, and this is absolutely key. You navigate safely in conversations by always using questions in different ways. Okay. So the first step of the game plan, we're just going to gather information. That's it. Very simply, we'll gather information about a person's view or about their spiritual view or maybe about the spiritual challenge they're offering. So that is uh, the model question for the first step is what do you mean by that?
0: And I I wanted to say, you know, it's interesting, we were going through, you know, the the gospel just recently and Jesus, whenever he wants somebody to think about something, he always asked questions.
1: Yes, yes. Close to 300, I think is the number in the Gospels. And uh, so we're in we're in good company with this, all right. It's called the Socratic method because even 400 years before Jesus, Socrates used it well, and many have since then. I call it the Columbo tactic because of the infamous Lieutenant Columbo of ancient TV fame, which many of your listeners probably are not familiar with. But um, he just came in easy under the radar as he's trying to solve his murder crime by, um, by asking these questions that seemed innocuous, but moved him along and didn't frighten the person who was a- actually guilty, right? So that's our technique here. And so we're going to ask questions first to gather information. So somebody says, well, the, the Bible's been changed. Okay. Well, that's a challenge against scripture. Really? How? Explain that to me. What do you mean? I'm just curious. So I need more information. What? What do you, What is it that you're, you're, you're getting at? So that's a, what do you mean by that question? And then they might be able to explain it and they can tell it. And, uh, or somebody says, well, I'm an atheist. I'm not a Christian. I said, really? What kind of atheist are you? Okay. I want them to talk a little bit more about it. Or, um, and um, uh, there's a, ho- a host of other, other. Um, oh, you shouldn't be forcing your views on me. Okay. Exactly how am I forcing my view on you right now? I mean, forcing it on you. So I'm just asking for more information. Now, some people might be thinking, well, why are you asking for more information to get clarity on the guy who's contradicting me and pushing back on me? And I said, well, the reason is, is because I'm convinced that if they are pushing back on any claim about Christianity that's sound, then they're wrong. (laughs) If Christianity is true, then their contrary view is false. Okay. And therefore, the more I can get them to talk about it, likely the bigger the hole is that they're digging for themselves as they explain their false view. And by the way, this happens all the time because I'm asking for clarification of various kinds and they are explaining and I'm seeing a whole bunch of stuff, and they begin seeing stuff, too, that they can't make sense of. And I'll give some examples in just a few moments. Um, so that's the first move. I'm just gathering information. That's in the tactics book. All right. Next move is, since the first one is to find out what they believe and get clear on that, the next move is to find out why they believe it. So, okay, I understand kind of atheist you are. Now, why do you think there is no God? just curious. I don't know. Talk to different people. Different people have different reasons? I'm interested in yours. So notice this is a relaxed, comfortable conversation. I'm drawing the other person out. I've got two steps of my game plan in place. The second step, by the way, leads with the question, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? Or what are your reasons for that? Or something like that. They're model questions. All right. So now I'm two thirds of the way through the game plan. And what the other person has done is just given me more information about their view and their reasons for it incidentally, Jim, there's a lot of times when you ask, well, help me out. I'm trying to understand this more. Tell me a little bit more what you mean by that. Or how did you come to that conclusion? What are your reasons for this? Or I just get dead air. In other words, people aren't really capable. It's amazing, but that's the case. Capable of making their point of view or their challenge more clear or giving the reasons for the view that they hold. It really is amazing. Okay, so um, I've got a lot of information now, and I just want to point out to your listeners that for me in this stage of the game plan, I'm in the shallow end of the pool. I'm ankle deep. There is absolutely no risk to me at all because when I'm asking questions, I'm not advancing my own view, and so the person can't attack my own view because I'm not advancing my view. I want to keep using questions. Questions keep you safe, so everyone remember that line, questions keep you safe. If you're nervous about a conversation, just start asking questions. Don't make statements. Just ask questions. Okay. And the game plan will give you an idea how that works out. Okay. Then the third step, and this is where street smarts come in, comes in. Now remember the street is wherever you feel uncomfortable, wherever you feel vulnerable, you know, open to attack. And spiritually speaking, that's a lot of places for lots of folk. Could be at work, could be at home. With your own family members, might be at school, a university, with friends, whatever, and because we feel vulnerable, we don't know how to maneuver in that environment. We just are silent. Okay, so the street smarts really, as a concept, um, is is the the um, active part of the third step of the game plan. So first, we're going to gather information. Second, we're going to get the reasons for their view. And the third is we're going to use questions to make a point. Okay, now we're moving uh, in in the other direction, aren't we? Now we're taking initiative to go after their view, either their contrary view to Christianity, atheism, for example, or their pushback, you know, where the Bible's been changed or something like that. And so now we are going to use questions specifically to parry a ch- challenge or to show a weakness in the other person's view. Now, of course, here's the liability, Jen, and this is why this step is a little more advanced. If you're going to use your questions to make a point, first, you must know <laughs> what, the point, what, what the point is you want to make. And if you're going to show a, a liability in their view, you got to know the liability. Okay. And secondly, you got to know the questions to ask to show that liability. So that you're still in a safe position because you're asking the questions and that's what street smarts does. So I take issues like um, <clears throat> atheism. I got two chapters on that. I got a chapter on the problem of evil chapter on. Can we be good without God? I got two chapters on abortion. I got two chapters in the Bible. Okay, Uh, Bible and science and also Bible difficulties like um, alleged genocide in the Bible or slavery. And these are challenges that people make. Uh, I have a chapter on uh, gender, sex and marriage. So uh, two chapters on the person of Jesus. So these are all areas where Christians are under attack by those embittered souls and we can respond if we know how. And so what I do in each of those chapters is I give the backstory, here's the problems, and you probably never saw most of these problems before. Uh, here are the problems. And uh, I want, now. Uh, and here are the questions you can use to expose those problems. And what I give is short sample dialogues. So you ask a question, they answer, then another question, they answer. They, and notice that there's a step-by-step process where you're getting little pieces, from their answers to fairly common sense questions and then the last question is you're connecting all the dots for them but it's a question so now they got to think about it okay so i'll give you a um a couple of examples if that's all right okay Mm -hmm. let's say atheism so um most atheism atheists are materialists and what that means is they don't believe in anything outside the physical realm no God, no souls, therefore no miracles, and um, no, uh, no ultimate transcendent morality, you know, and, uh, it, you know, all of that. I mean, it's all, that's just um, nonsense. Um, all we have is what we can see and touch and taste and feel and hear and that kind of stuff, you know, and that's it. The materialists, all right? So, um, so sometimes they'll say, well, there's no evidence for God because they're just looking all around them. They don't see God. So I said, okay, do you mind if I ask a few questions and notice now I'm starting by getting permission to ask some questions? No, go ahead. Ask some, by the way, this conversation I had with a student at the university of Toronto I've had this conversation more than once, but in this case at university of Toronto, I gave a talk and Q and a is afterwards and he's an atheist. He comes up to the microphone. And so I said, do you mind if I ask a few questions about your charge against, uh, regarding the evidence? He said, no, go ahead. I said, the first couple are pretty simple, but just play along with me. Okay. First question, do you think things exist? Well, yes, this microphone exists, is what he said. I said, okay, I can work with that. Microphone, I agree with you. Okay. The things that exist, whatever they are, second question, the things that exist, have they always existed? So now I'm getting to the issue of the beginning of the universe. Let me tell you something. Nobody thinks everything already always existed. Um, the universe that is. Christians think God created it and the and came into being. The universe came into being being by God's action. And non-Christians believe the universe came into being too. We all believe the same thing. There was when the universe was not, and then it was. Okay. So I mean, and he said, Yeah, that's the universe didn't always exist. And then he Big Bang cosmology. All right. Now, some Christians don't like Big Bang, and I'm like, okay. I got it. Uh, don't worry about that because the issue of time or the age of the universe is not at stake here. All we're working with is their confident assertion that the universe had a beginning, which we agree with. Okay, fine. And that's what I tell them, great. There was when it didn't exist and then it did exist. Yes, that's right. So I agree. Now here's my final question, I said to them. And by the way, this dialogue's in the book. All all of these are. Um, I said, and this is the question that matters. What caused the universe to come into existence? Now make it easy on you, you there's only two options, either something or nothing. <laughs> either something caused the universe or no thing caused the universe, the universe just popped into existence without a cause, for no reason and for no purpose. And by the way, those all go together. If it just popped into existence with no cause, then it has no reason, and there is no purpose. No transcendent purpose, no big purpose, just whatever we want to do with ourselves, okay? So what do you think? Now, of course, with those two options, something or nothing, the atheist doesn't want to say something, because that would be like something outside the material universe, which he doesn't believe in any of that. It would have to be something really powerful, really smart, and probably personal, because it takes a person to initiate this kind of action. So he's not going to go there, but what is all he's left with? Nothing caused the universe for no reason with no purpose. Really? That's the where you want to go? Okay. Um, maybe that's possible. And what I'm not trying to do is prove God's existence by saying his other option is not possible. I actually don't think it's possible, but I don't have to make that strong a claim. All I'm trying to show is it's not the odds on favorite. Because where around us do we see big things popping into existence out of nothing for no reason. You know, it's not happening. So why would we think the universe did that? That's my question. And uh, what was interesting in the atheist at University of Toronto, he said, well, I'm just going to stick with the scientific answer. That's what he said as he's walking away from the mic. And I said to him, but you haven't given a scientific answer you haven't given any answer at all in fact there can't be a scientific answer for the cause of the universe because science can only operate within the physical universe okay and anyway so this is this is a uh, street smarts and now they're left with something to think about. No, I'm not trying to make an altar call afterwards. I'm just giving a putting a big giant rock in their shoe. But I want you to see something else, Jen, about that procedure, that process that we just went through. And that is that I could have offered a cosmological argument for the existence of God in response to the claim that there's no evidence for God. And that's what I just offered, a cosmological argument. Some might recognize it as the Kalam cosmological argument, but I didn't have to use all that fancy philosophic language. I just asked a few questions that elicited common sense answers. And then I, in a sense, lowered the boom with my last question. But it wasn't a trick. It's what's left. Okay, now what? All right, you tell me what's the smart response. Now, I could have just offered that. I could have said, well, things that exist first, and secondly, things haven't always existed. They came into existence at some point in time in the past. The universe is not eternal, so something had to cause it. Not nothing, but something. Therefore, God exists. That's evidence for God. Now, that's basically the same line of reasoning. But notice, if I had just preached that at the atheist, at every single point, he could have taken exception with me. Well, first of all, things exist. No, maybe not. Maybe we're all butterflies dreaming, okay? And they haven't always existed. Some people think they have. Could be who's to say that the universe isn't eternal, blah, 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 blah. What are you doing? You're just having a fight the whole time. Because every time you make a statement, you try to put a piece of your argument on the table, the atheist is going to push back or the skeptic. And so instead of allowing that to happen, I asked the atheist to put the piece on the table with each successive question. And if he puts the piece on the table, he's not going to take it off. Because he put it there until the final question, which is connecting the dots, what caused the universe to come into existence? And now he's left with only two alternatives. And as it turns out, our view is the most sensible one. It's the smart one, not his. And if he wants to stick with nothing caused everything, okay, you're welcome to that. (laughs) Okay, what am I going to say? All right, that flies in the teeth of the evidence, which means it's not rational. Okay, so there's the technique. By the way, notice the street smarts. I understood the flaw, I saw the challenge that came at me, so I began asking questions that gave me, in which the skeptic or the um, the 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 person on the other side is giving me the pieces of my argument that I need to make the statement, to make the case, and then we just the final one closes the gap there. And this is true at every single issue that I cover in the book. And all of those steps are in there. Here, I'll give you another one. I know we're getting short on time, but another one on problem of evil. All right. Now, the problem of evil is a difficult problem. And there are two ways to approach it. One way is to offer a theodicy. Theodicy are are complex arguments about why God would allow evil in the world. And there are lots of them that are good. And I do that in the story of reality, one of the other books that you mentioned. But I don't take that on as an apologetic element. Okay, Um, and uh, I take a different uh, tack with the problem of evil question in in the Street Smarts book because here's the insight. The insight is the problem of evil is not a theist problem. It is a human problem. Everybody knows no matter where they lived or when they lived that something's wrong with the world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Okay, this is universal. This is why... People universally bring up the problem of evil when you talk about these things, okay? And so um, so they have to deal with the problem of evil just like the Christian does. Now, I explain in the story of reality how the problem of evil is not a problem for us the way it, people think it is because it's part of our story. Our whole story is about the problem of evil. It starts in chapter 3, it doesn't end until thir- 33 66 books later, right? And our story's not over yet. So evil makes sense in our world. Maybe we don't know all the reasons that God allowed it, but at least it fits in our worldview. And we have ways of dealing with that. All right. But what about the atheist? What sense does evil make in a materialistic world where there is no God and no transcendent morality? They are just molecules and motion. It makes no sense. So that's what I'm going to try To get the atheist to see. And I can do it very simply with a simple, simply with a few questions. So when he raises the problem of evil, the first thing I say is, Well, what about the problem of evil? What about it? That's my response. He said, Well, that's a problem for you, isn't it? How is it a problem for me? Now I know what he's thinking, probably, but I want him to spell it out. Okay, then he spells it out. Well, if God were good and powerful, he'd want to and be able to get rid of evil, but evil exists, so God doesn't exist. I mean, that's the basic deductive problem of evil, right? So I say to him, and watch the move here, maybe you're right. Let's just say you are and that God doesn't exist. Incidentally, that argument doesn't really go through, though it sounds persuasive, and I explain why in the story of reality. But in any event, um, um, let's just, I, I say, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe there is no God. Let's just pretend that there was no God for the reasons you gave. Now, I have some questions, though. Those things that you objected to um, like murder and rape and and you know ethnic cleansing and global warming or whatever. Are those things still happening? Yes, of course they happen. And they're still evil. Of course they're evil. That's why I don't believe in God. Okay, great. Now, remember, God's gone, but all these things are happening in the world, according to you, that are actually evil. Can you explain to me how if atheism is true, there could be so much evil in the world, which... The atheist cannot make sense of in a materialistic world because when people complain about evil in the world, they're not saying that things happen that they don't like. Like maybe they don't like the taste of Brussels sprouts or something like that, which I think those are disgusting. I don't know why they're on every menu now. But in any event, uh, we're not just talking about personal preferences. We're talking about things that should not happen. All right. Well, wait a minute. How could things? there be a standard over the world about the way things should be if there's no standard maker. It's not even there's no standard maker, but there can't even be the standard in a materialistic realm on that view of the world. So now the atheist is stuck. He can't make sense in his worldview of one of the most salient details of the world, the flaws of the world. But we can in our worldview. That means our worldview is true, at least at that point. It fits the world, and his doesn't. So notice how without even answering the problem of evil writ large, I've been able to show that the problem of evil actually works in favor of our view, whatever God's reasons were for allowing it, and it works against the atheist view. And that dialogue is right there in the book. And and, and on every single issue— Jesus being the only way of salvation. Jesus is not God. He's the son of God. Um, You know, abortion. uh, It's a woman's right. It's my body, my choice. You know, right on down the line. And gender and sex and marriage. All of these issues can be answered with the truth. But to be clever, to be shrewd, as Jesus said, we use questions. And when we use questions, we subtly enlist the objector on our side to help us deal with the issue you know he becomes an ally by answering the common sense questions we're asking that lead to the our view and lead away from their view then that's street smarts
0: thank you so much mr well greg for coming on the <laughs> podcast and uh sharing all Listen, that mr us.
1: kokel i'll say Mrs. Kokel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was a really great introduction to Street Smarts and also to Tactics because you talked about both. And I highly recommend everybody go check out those books because I actually have three copies of Tactics because I've given them out before. Oh, good for you. And uh, yeah. And um, I'm also going to check out your book, which I found out today is already out there. You can purchase it on Amazon and I'm going to link it in the description of this podcast episode. So everybody listening can go and check out Straight Smarts and then also Tactics and any of Greg's other books as well. They're all excellent. I've read probably, I think I've read two out of your four books. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Oh, good. Halfway there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, halfway there. All right, guys. Well, I hope to see you all on the next podcast. But until next time, happy listening and God bless.